Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Mark DeBrinkat, who has an, a most amazing story of recovery from pain. Uh, it's actually the most remarkable story I've ever heard. And after I heard, it, I said, we, you have got to share this with our viewers. So uh, he's going to do that today. And one of the primary reasons I uh, want him to share this story is to motivate and catalyze you to seek natural approaches to severe pain. You know, many people nowadays are using opiates and we have tens of thousands of people dying every year from opiate addiction, largely as a result of, of uh, not necessarily recreational use, but they were le prescri legally prescribed uh, drugs for pain, pain control. And there's just crazy. I mean, there's so many people are dying prematurely that it's actually lowered the uh, average uh, age that people die in the United States. So Dr. Debrinkat is going to share his incredible story of recovery and give you some hope about seeking additional strategies. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Doc. It's great to be here today. Yes, indeed. And you've got a beautiful background there. You're up in Colorado. You didn't always used to be in Colorado, but you're there now. And I congratulate yeah. you on your great background there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we feel very blessed to be able to wake up every morning and see this outside right. our windows for sure. Yeah, that's great. So why don't you, um, now you're a chiropractic physician and you were seeing patients and then you uh, encountered an incredible accident. So why don't you share your journey and pretty much you can have the platform because it's, it's like a 20 or 30 minute story. So I want you to take it from here and just walk us through what, you, what, what happened to you. Okay, so years ago, uh, 21 years ago, in fact, my wife and I were on our way, we were living in Georgia at the time, and we were on our way to Florida to a chiropractic conference uh, for continuing ed, which I love traveling all around doing. And it was raining and uh, actually pouring, actually. And I was the passenger in the car and I had fallen asleep uh, just about five minutes prior to the accident. And she hydroplaned going down the highway and literally we spun through about eight lanes of traffic and just missing cars in each lane and I woke up to her screaming we're gonna die we're gonna die and just trying to catch my bearings and we were missing one car after another after another and then when we made it to the very through the grass median into the final uh, lane I saw a moving truck, full 18-wheeler coming right at us and knew at that moment we weren't going to miss this one. And uh, so I braced my legs on the dashboard um, as hard as I possibly could. And we literally spun backwards into it. And the back bumper of our uh, SUV, it was a Ford Explorer, ended up right behind the front seats. And then it came up and over the top. And so... Uh, it's an absolute miracle that either one of us survived. My wife, who was driving, had whiplash and a teardrop fracture of C5, and then the roof hit her on top of the head and did a burst fracture, like a lifesaver breaking, uh, three, four, and five. So 95% of people with her injuries are usually paralyzed and are usually killed immediately, and the rest are paralyzed. So 
again, she's um, absolutely amazing. I remember laying in the hospital and threatening her doctor that if he didn't put a perfect curve into her neck when he fused all the bones <laughs> together, he'd never hear the end of my name. And so he literally took the titanium plate home and pounded in a nice curve for me. So here, 21 years later, she's got a beautiful cervical lateral curve and, uh, and her still has her joint below a fusion, which is, is just amazing. Wow. Now, uh, so she's, she's got a plate in there? Yeah, they took a cadaver shin bone and put it in place of three, four, and five, mm -hmm. and then a plate with a bunch of screws holding all of that in. Um, and then she healed in just a few months and then took care of me for years. Um, I was a hot mess, as, as you know. Um, bracing my legs on the dashboard on impact uh, saved my life, but also literally split my pelvis in half. So the pubic bone snapped in the front, and my sacrum cracked top to bottom in the back. Um, I ripped the muscles off most of my legs uh, for both sides there, and they ended up down to my ankles. And then I lost um, my sigmoid and, and descending colon uh, in all of that, uh, amongst many other injuries. So I spent a lot of months in confined to a hospital bed. Um, it took me several years to be uh, able to, you know, go back to work again as a chiropractor, had to become my own best patient. So I was raised by very holistic parents that always, you know, took me to chiropractors at a young age and were into vitamins. My mom baked our own bread and we ate organic and I couldn't have sodas or sugar cereal and all of that like all my friends have. And I really felt deprived, but you know, I've never been sick. And, and then I've had a few injuries and I've always healed real fast, which was always remarkable. So um, I was determined from the day they took me off the morphine that I wasn't going to take anything for this. I kept saying to myself, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, and I'm just going to choose not to suffer. Uh, in fact, I made it about 15 years uh, with still never even taking a Tylenol after all of that and, you know, doing chiropractic and acupuncture and massage and all of the, the nutrients and all the healthy living things that were taught, you know, in school and by my parents my whole life. And um, I was, you know, determined mentally that I'm going to overcome this. Uh, well, unfortunately, I had a few other traumas along the way and the initial injuries and all the back surgeries, you know, they built up and, and eventually by 2010, I was permanently disabled and confined to a wheelchair. I had stabbing pain from my neck all the way to my tailbone. I uh, had no feeling in my arms or legs, but my hands and feet felt like burning broken glass all the time. Um, I was trying everything and, and my parents and family just kept saying, you know, hang in there, you're going to find something, you know, you're going to find that miracle or that product or, or some technology is going to be invented that hasn't been invented yet. And when that happens, you're going to get your breakthrough because honestly, once I was permanently disabled, I had to be picked up and moved and, and finally medicated and ended up having seven back surgeries in a few short years you know, with this attempt to try to just make the pain stop. Um, and finally I succumbed to, you know, Oxy and Soma and Xanax. And I let them just throw any medication at me that would take my pain level from a 10 down. And we found the combination of, of narcotics and the muscle relaxers and the anxiety pills that would take me from a 10 to an eight. And, you know, that was survivable, but, you know, 10 was just, you, you can't live in that 
in that environment, you know, for the rest of my life. And so they eventually, you know, kind of gave up after they tried this surgery for this and this one for that. And they gave up on ever being able to finally, you know, get me out of pain. So they implanted a computer in my spinal cord. And you know, at the time that was, <laughs> that was actually so much more painful than the accidents that I've been in. Cause I had to stay in bed with my arms tied to my side for three months while this thing healed. And I had the Lamborghini of all of them. They put, did a laminectomy at T10 and, and then wound a, a plate, a, a paddle with a bunch of gold plates on it up into my spinal cord and they gave me a remote control and when I turned it on I could literally like not feel anything from here down anymore and then I had different programs that I could tweak to feel tingling on this side or that side and it was basically radar jamming the pain so that I could you know move my limbs and, and actually start to be a little bit independent so um, you know that was a big breakthrough but you know what they did it saying that they can get me off all my narcotics and everything and it still was wasn't enough to do that. I could just now get dressed and I could shitting myself and get into the car. My kids would take my wheelchair and put it on the back of the car um, and be able to, um, you know, help and assist me do that and get in the car. And so, um, so that was nice. But this was the, the turning point for me. Once I finally got my um, ability to do something more and feel something less. I had a, an epiphany one night and, you know, I remember back in school and we talk about healing and getting better and overcoming anything. It's always, you know, innate. We heal from the inside out and we get harmed from the outside in. And so I really started studying more epigenetics and, and studying the health of our cells. And, and something clicked one day and I thought to myself, you know, um, every cell has a turnover rate. And if I can just simply make the next version of my cells be better than this one, I think I might actually be able to overcome this problem. That nobody else knows what it is, but I know that we're constantly replacing. Our eyes only take two days. Our gums take two weeks. All the cells are replaced. Our throat takes two months. Our lungs, the lining in our lungs only takes eight days. So I started having hope, like, I can start doing more things now to impact the health of the cell. And then the new version of these cells are going to be better than the last. And so that was like a turning point that started to stop the depression of thinking, this is how I have to live for the rest of my life. And for, for the most part, I was always taught that your, your health and your physical health is your absolute number one asset in life. And you can have all these nice things and all the money in the world, but if you don't have your physical health, nothing else matters. Well, there was a point. Excuse me for a moment. When did you have your epiphany? How far into your injury process was um, it? Was that after the 15 implant? 15 years after the accident. And, if, and, and it was after the implant? Uh, yes. Yeah, after the implant. Um, and I started getting a few more abilities, right? And I was able to calm that pain down more. So I realized that we're onto something. And then I heard... Um, one of our mentors speak on neurofeedback and for the first time in all these years that I've been doing QEEGs and neurofeedback training, um, we always did it just two to three times in the office for maybe 30 minutes of training each time uh, per week. 
And we were told that you can never do more than that because your brain can't handle it and you'll fatigue and then cause more problems. So when I would map myself back when I was in my wheelchair, it was like my entire map was yellow, like way, way too high. And nothing I was doing was really changing that. And I heard a lecture where he said, when you have patients that are addicted to, you know, these narcotics for pain and you want to try to get them off, you need to do aggressive training with them. And it was like another light bulb went off. I'm like, you mean I could do more? I was a little upset at first, but then I immediately started doing hours a day to the point where I would just fatigue out and have either a headache or just fall asleep. Um, and in, in a few short months, my abilities to feel more in my legs and to do more for myself and get myself dressed. And it was amazing. It was like, I've had the answer all along and I didn't know I could be tapping into that. And so now with my newfound freedom of I'm growing new cells and now we can grow new cells in my brain and spine where I have all this damage, this was super exciting. And so shortly after that, I met somebody who saw me in my wheelchair and she says, oh, honey, you look like you're really hurt. <laughs> and I looked at her like, really? What <laughs> gave it away? Is it this fancy chair I'm sitting in or the expression on my face or whatever? But she gave me a bottle of essential oil and she says, honey, this is going to just put this wherever you hurt and all your pain's going to go away. And I was so mesmerized that she was so passionate. I just says, oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. And I took it. And I remember putting it in my bag and then rolling away thinking, come on, I got the best doctors in the world that give me the best, strongest medications and your little oil thing. It's kind of a joke to me. Nobody's ever taught me about essential oils. And I taught continuing ed for over two decades. And it was never on the topic of anybody's death. And so I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but it sat in my bag for five weeks. And we were actually on vacation visiting my parents in South Florida. And my wife went to give me a massage one night and she went to touch my back. And it was like, oh, you know what? This isn't going to work, honey. Why don't you work on my legs? You can't touch my back. It's just way too much pain. And then I thought, hey, go get that blue stuff that that girl gave us and that oil and put it right where you were touching me. And let's just see, because now I'm just associating touch me pain instead of this chronic, you know, relenting pain that I was in all the time. And so she comes and puts a drop on and it was like, oh my goodness, I don't feel any pain. That's crazy. Like I go up a couple inches and push there. And so she went up and touched me there and I'm like, ow. And she pours a drop there and she just waits a few seconds and starts touching me again. And I'm like, that's so amazing. Just pour it all over my back. So literally she rolls it up and down my back and rubs it all in. And I remember this is 2014 in January. So this is five years ago, uh, this last month. And for the first time, and I could honestly say, um, 17 years, I felt no pain in my body anywhere. It was like, it was gone. And she says, oh my goodness, walk around. And I just sat bawling, I'm crying. And she's like, well, start walking. And I'm like, no, I, I forgot what this felt like. It had been so long. And so after about 20 minutes of sitting there like a fool bawling my eyes out, I said, all right, I'm going to start walking. And now with the computer in my spine, I could literally walk about, oh, 20 to 30 steps max at a time. And if I pushed it more than that, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for days. So um, I set my pedometer on my watch to zero. And then I start walking and I keep walking and I keep walking. And I literally walked 5,700 steps. <laughs> I could not believe it.
Those, that's miles. That's, oh that's my gosh. Four or five miles. And here it had been almost four years since I, you know, had even taken more than 30 steps. And it was really only about last year that I could take 30 steps for all the time before I couldn't walk at all. And so um, it was so profound. And so I'm like, what are these essential oils? And so a friend told me, well, listen, some of them wake you up. Some of them help you sleep. Other ones fight infection. And then the other categories, they help remodel tissue. And I felt like Scooby-Doo, like, what? <laughs> remodel tissue? I got a lot of tissue that has a lot of problems. We, you know, tell me more. And so she gave me a textbook. And we literally, I woke up the next morning and I wasn't in pain. And, and if I used to walk an extra 10 steps, I'd wake up the next morning a hot mess. And so I actually drove half the way home of a six-hour drive home for the first time in four years. And it was an absolute miracle. And so I studied and learned all about essential oils. And I found eight different oils that remodded all the tissue in my spine. I put them on and it would bring me to like a pain level five from a 10. And then somebody that knew a whole lot more about oils kind of looked at my list and laughed at me. And she goes, you know what? Just turn your list upside down and do it the other order. And when you do it that way, it's going to have a much greater effect on you. And so I did that. And oh my goodness, it went to pain level zero. And so now I could be pain-free completely for literally 12 hours before any pain came back. And so I would do it twice a day. Now, here's a really interesting thing. I had such mental fog because of all the meds they had me on for almost four years, every three hours, that I could read a sentence, but I couldn't make the sense out of it. And I knew the words, but I couldn't put all the words together. So I had such bad fog that when they gave me a whole pile full of oils, I just wrote the one symptom why I took each oil. And so I had them all for, um, you know, in a row. And every day as I'd apply them, I'd say, I'm putting this one on for this reason. And in the textbook, each oil has like 40 or 50 reasons why you could use it. And so that was so overwhelming. I couldn't do that. And so after about a month, it was 28 days, I said to myself, you know what? I know my list by heart now. I'm going to actually look and see what else these wonderful oils do. So I pull up the book and the first one I was using was grapefruit. And I lost actually over 30 pounds that month because of all the synthetics in my gut. It dissolves synthetics. But that's why I was taking it to lose weight. I look in the book and it said the first thing for it was addictions. And I'm like, oh my goodness, addictions. Where are my meds? I started looking. I couldn't find them. I thought somebody stole them. They were still in my suitcase from the day we got home. And here I was like, for over three and a half years, I would be sitting there watching TV and then all of a sudden like stabbing pain would come out of nowhere. And I'd be like, oh, oh what's the matter? I didn't even move. What's going on? And I look at my watch and it'd be like, oh, it's five after three. I just missed my dose by five minutes. And it was like the medication would wear off at the exact time. And I would have just a few minutes before I'd fall apart and put it back on. And here I stopped all of those cold turkey, not by conscious thought, by default, because the oils took me out of pain. I never had the reminder. I never thought about it. And I was feeling so good. I was like every day I was coming out of another bubble and another bubble. And so 
they say that the, you know, the body's remodeling itself and the oils that are helping remodel tissue are literally getting in there to the DNA when it makes 3 billion copies of itself before it finds the cleanest one to go into the new cell. And it helps take out, you know, debris, damage, toxins, scars, different things so that you can get back to your root cell which is the purest one before you had all your problems. And so um, rule of thumb was about 90 days on your protocol. So I did this back protocol for 90 days and then I stopped. And then within 24 hours, I was right back in this horrible pain again. So I thought, okay, the oils, our oils rock. This was the only thing that I hadn't, you know, that I took out of the equation and I'm right back to where I was after 90 days. So I went another 90 days and stopped and made it four days that time before any pain came back. Now this was a second epiphany because now I really honestly got and believed that I'm getting better and I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this thing, I'm gonna overcome it and nothing will stop me. Another 90 days of doing it and stopped, that was August of 2014. I've never had to do that protocol on my back since. I've had stenosis in my neck and my low back that's gone. I've had herniations throughout my spine that were gone. I had arthritis on the outside of my spine that's reabsorbed. And then I had really big nasty scars all over my back that, you know, like, like my finger underneath the skin or a caterpillar in there and they're all gone. I just had the line where all the incisions were, but the scars are gone. So I got my life back. I was so passionate, I could teach again. Anybody that saw me walking was like, this is a, a, an absolute true miracle. I can't believe um, what I'm seeing. Are you a twin brother? Nobody thought, because I taught continuing ed from a wheelchair for a lot of years. And for them to see me walking, you know, it was astonishing. However, I still had, uh, a lot of limitations. I will say my mind came back, so I was so happy and, and so excited to be able to, you know, just be present. Um, I lost a lot of weight, which was great. Um, I could walk, but probably not more than a couple hundred yards or my feet would fall asleep. Um, I couldn't sit on certain chairs or I would get jacked up, like airplanes were really hard still. I couldn't stretch or exercise and I couldn't lift any weights. And then I found uh, a year and a half later, I found a, a PEMF device. Mm -hmm. And that was my second huge miracle in breakthroughs. Um, you know, when, when you've gone through what I've been through, you're always hyper vigilant to look at anything that would even make a remote difference. And if it made logical sense, I would try it. And if it didn't work, at least I tried it. But if it worked, oh my goodness, it would make it into my daily routine of how we take care of ourselves every day. So the PEMF, it was like five weeks of using this machine uh, that my circulation came back and literally all my limitations went away. Now I've had Colorado homes and cabins on my gold board since high school. And I've always wanted to live out here in Colorado. So as soon as I got my limitations gone, I was like, all right, when the kids graduate high school, we're moving out to Colorado. And um, they're like, why wouldn't we wait? We'll leave now. And I'm like, you'd leave all your friends? And they said, absolutely, we'll, we want to go to Colorado bad. So we all moved out here a couple years ago and we've been making up for lost time in our you know in our journey my kids grew up with me in a wheelchair most of the years especially during all their middle school years when that was so crucial and so to be able to have this amazing abundant life with them and to be able to mountain bike and snow ski and dirt bike and snowmobile and hike and all the wonderful fun things we love doing it's just a dream come true and so you know we're always looking for 
products and things that impact us, that, that give us hope again. And that's why I've been known as the good news doctor. I'm, a, I'm the first doctor that people say that, you know what, I've always get all this bad news from my doctor. And, you know, you're the first one that's given me hope again. And it's like, you know, when you've been through any major health crisis and you come out the other end, your purpose kind of changes and it evolves into, I guess, how God wants to, to use you to, to help people. And so, you know, from being in the wheelchair for so many years and coming out, you know, our, you know, our main passion is helping people with neurofeedback and we do the brain mapping and then, you know, we do this in their privacy of their own home. And so that's what we needed is I needed aggressive work. And so we can literally take patients and give them two years of care in one month aggressively and then make those breakthroughs happen over and over again. And that's so exciting. So that's an amazing story, and uh, you've condensed 15 years of trials and tribulations into about 20 minutes, and thank you for doing that. But I had some specific questions, because you were in the wheelchair for such a long time, and normally what happens when you have that type of disability, and you're not using your muscles, I mean, you couldn't walk for all these years, they atrophy. I mean, were you getting some type of physical therapy to maintain that muscle mass? And how, and how, I mean, how could you possibly go from no walking to 5,700 steps, like instantly? I mean, yeah. I just don't understand that. Um, well, I guess the easiest description of that is I had been a martial artist most of my life prior. So I have been an extreme athlete and had extremely strong legs from, you know, hundreds of thousands of kicks for all those years. So... Um, even though I was down and out and confined to my chair, you know, I'd never lost so much strength. So I never atrophied, at least not in a major, at a, at a, a fast rate. We would take, uh, you know, we grow our own wheatgrass and we'd be juicing every single day. And I'd make sure that my protein was efficient and all my nutrients were there. So um, it was very hypervigilant on my diet. Uh, mm -hmm. to help maintain the right calories that I was burning um, and eating clean, you know, and just yeah. avoiding the toxins at all costs. And so I was very fortunate to maintain most of my muscle mass through, through all of the, the times that I was disabled. Now, anything that I ever could do, um, I would do my own physical therapy uh, about three or four hours a day for so many years. And okay, so, so you were doing physical therapy. I became my own, my own best patient and, and did a lot of my own therapy. That's really surprising because even with the best muscle mass, um, this, this type of mobility for prolonged periods is really a prescription for muscle disaster. And I've interviewed Joan Vernicos before, who was the head of the NASA part of NASA's division and responsible for the health of the astronauts. And she uh, investigated the impact of microgravity in her research. She found that the best simulation on earth was being in bed. You know, it's microgravity and your muscles would deteriorate just like the astronauts do in space. So you really need a lot of aggressive attention to prevent this. So it's really surprising. You, I'm sure it helped that you started with a lot of muscle mass in your legs, but boy, it's, it's a real testimony to your diligence in yeah. doing the physical therapy to keep you up so that after 15 years, you can instantly walk. That was, it's really surprising. Yeah. Now, I wasn't in the wheelchair for the full 15 years. It was the last four years as things just kept escalating and getting worse and worse. It was the first few years and the last four years. And through the middle of there, I, I could take care of myself, but there was always constant pain. 
Okay. Um, and, and remember, when I first got out of the wheelchair, because of the neurofeedback and the oils, I was still very limited for almost a year. I, I couldn't mm -hmm. walk more than 100 yards or a couple hundred yards, uh, and I would start to fall apart. I didn't feel like it was the muscles so much as my nervous system was so weak mm -hmm. um, that it would fatigue or cause the pain before my muscles would give out. But eventually, it all remodeled and it all got stronger. Um, and you know, it was the persistence, you know, I think about mm -hmm. the times in my life when things were really hard. And I, I remember a quote from, from some old Chinese guy that I saw on Jay Leno or on, uh, um, Johnny Carson when I was a kid. And he says, what was your key to being so successful in life? And he looked right at the camera and says, it's easy. Fall down six times and get up seven. <laughs> and so... <laughs> That got me out of my bed a lot of times and fighting for my therapy and fighting. I'm just, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep getting back yeah. up because as soon as I stay down, then the rest of my life is predetermined. Yeah. It seems like that's a central element of the, your success is and the ability to persist in spite of all this hard, this hardship that you went through. So I'm also wondering if you still, do you still have that implantable spinal modulator in your back or do they take it out? No, I do still have it. Um, I haven't had to use it in about three and a half years, so I keep it off and I let the battery get down to almost dead. It's right at the very bottom trickle. I'm, I'm thinking that if I had a full charge on that battery, it would be more harmful to me. Um, quite frankly, I'm just a little weary of, of messing with it. it. I've had other patients that had it and it wasn't working for them, and so they pulled it out after a few years. And there's so much scar tissue tied in around the spinal cord and in mm -hmm. there that I'm afraid that it would jack me up and I'd be all hurting again. I'm yeah, yeah. Far to, to stir those old injuries up. So it's just there, and uh, it's there in case I ever need it down the road, God forbid. Well, I doubt that you will from the, sharing your story, but it reminds me of a device, and I forget the name of it, but was used to form a female con contraception, I believe. I think that was the case, but it was marketed incorrectly, and they would implant this device in women's ovaries. And it basically, what they learned in retrospectively, it was impossible to remove without just totally wrecking their anatomy up. So they had to keep them in. Yeah. And uh, there was a large number of them that were defective. It just was a nightmare. Uh, but that, that does, you know, it was all due to the scar tissue. So yeah. I, I suspect you're correct that you know, once you put those in, which is the reason why we're having you on, because you went through, ex you had such an extraordinary experience of pain. I mean, really very few people suffer like you have. Right. I mean, I'm sure there are others and even others that have exceeded your level, but you were pretty close to this. Certainly, this, the, the, per, personally, the one I heard that suffered the most from a pain, painful disability. So, but your strategy, I think, and what you shared could help so many get through this. So you, you, had, you kind of briefly skipped over the fact that you were doing neurofeedback. I mean, you, maybe you can discuss what that is and the brain mapping okay. and how you used it and how you're using it now and what the benefits are and the strategies for implementing something like that strategy. Great, sure. Therapy. So um, I've always been fascinated in the brain, even since I was a child. So anytime I see any, any kind of study or article or things relating to brain health, it would always catch my attention. 
And so uh, many, many years ago in a continuing ed class, um, the doctor was saying, hey, I'm getting into doing some brain uh, mapping equipment and was looking for people to get involved and get on board with me. And I initially couldn't stop dreaming about it, woke up thinking about it. So I jumped on board. And, uh, and so what we do is think of it like we put a cap on the head and we have wet and dry caps nowadays, but the cap has 19 leads of wires that come out and hook to the computer and they're just real sensitive microphones. So we're listening to brain activity, to neural activity, uh, thousands of synapses every hundredth of a second. And when we can listen to all 19 channels around the head at the same time, we can literally build a three-dimensional image of the brain's neurology. Now, when people get a brain trauma or a head trauma, they'll take an x-ray, rule out the skull's not broken, an MRI to look at lesions or tears or a tumor or something that doesn't look right. They'll do a CAT scan to see if there's a hot spot growing or something bleeding. They can do a spec scan to look at blood flow or a functional MRI and look at blood flow. And then they do what's called a QEEG. And this is the gold standard for care. And this is what I just explained. It's an electrocephalocat. Uh, electroencephalogram that is actually recording neurology of the brain. So this is the one that tells us what you're actually doing. And when we have that information, we can then use that information to make lifestyle recommendations for the patient, things you can do for brain health, like your ketogenic diet and how that helps and change living off the fats rather than the sugars. I'm not going to get on that sidetrack. But once we do the brain map and we have all of that data, we can find the four areas of the brain or the most dysregulated areas of the brain. So wherever the trauma happened, if we had a brain impact on this side, uh, brain goes this way and we have two different density tissues that bounce back at different speeds from the other side. So we have more damage on the opposite side of impact. And so uh, the gray matter is the outside shell of the brain where you have your conscious control those little areas of tissue are processing about 2,000 pieces of data every second, and that's what you're choosing to do. I'm moving my arm, I'm choosing to think my thoughts that I'm thinking. When we look into the white matter, that's like the, the melon, the, the fruit inside the melon versus the rind, you know, this is processing 400 million pieces of data a second. So, but within the white matter, you have hundreds of networks that are bundles of nerve tissue that communicate and share information amongst each other so that you feel normal in homeostasis. So one of those networks might be your attention network or your mood network or your executive functioning network that allows you to make executive decisions or a default mode network. This runs all the other networks in the brain. So think of the brain stem is the first part of your, of your brain that was developed, and mm -hmm. it's the hypervigilant part. It's always seeking out these networks and saying, hey, is the heart beating? Great. I'll be right back. I'm going to check on you in a minute. Is the lungs breathing? And so it's going through and seeing all the systems and all the networks in the brain to make sure that you're able to send information through that network and receive it. So when we see areas that have been damaged or shut down, we can literally target the technology nowadays to address just this damaged area of the brain and help me grow neuroplasticity in that area. And so prior to a decade ago, we didn't know you could grow brain tissue or spinal tissue. We thought that those were the same cells we were born with and die with, and all the rest of our body is constantly replacing itself. Well, that is true, 
But now we know that whenever you're learning something and you're one step beyond what you're capable of doing, that's when neuroplasticity kicks in and you start growing new tissue. So a real simple example would be like, if you were gonna to learn to play the guitar, I do different chords at first. It hurts my fingers, it doesn't sound very clean, but I'm really trying. So the more I try, the more I'll develop that skill to where I can play a nice chord that you hear. If I keep practicing, eventually I'll be able to play a song you recognize. Now, both hands have to do something different and my eyes have to read music. For simplicity's sake, let's just say I'm working three areas of my brain. Initially, they might be like a little thread trying to communicate because we haven't really done this exercise before. But after 10,000 hours of playing, I'm a professional guitar player. I could sit here and play leads and never miss a note and just have a conversation with you because those nerves became so thick that I can throw a lot of information easily down them. So this is inspiring for those that are stuck in pain because you have what's called a pain network. And when that network's not functioning right, you are experiencing pain through your nervous system, you know, and you can't just turn it off and say, okay, I got the message, thanks. Can you stop it? No, I just won't do anything to cause more of that. But, you know, please turn that off. And so knowing now that there's technology that can really pinpoint a specific network and just grow tissue to help that network, this has given us so much hope to help people that are needlessly suffering in pain. Because, you know, honestly, there's no drug that's going to heal them. Now, I was mm -hmm. very grateful for my drugs when I had them because I don't know mentally if I, if I would have made it through uh, the depression and the deep pain. So there's a time and a place for all of that. But their place was now and their time was forever. And I did not want a forever of living in a bubble. And so there are so many things now and new technologies and new sure. products coming out all the time to give people a breakthrough that yeah. can you and reclaim your life back. Well, well, let's go and clean up some of the, or at least uh, go into more details about the essential oils, because I think that okay. sounds like a powerful strategy. And without naming any specific companies, just right. describe the types of qualities you would look for in essential oil, maybe some of the essential oils uh, that you were using, and how they work. And I would imagine it would be a synergism between that and the QEEG, uh, okay. and expand on that if you can. Okay. So when I first learned about essential oils and I was so excited about the results I was feeling, I studied the science behind the oils. And so think of an essential oil is something that's occurring in nature. In fact, every blade of grass and, and tree and root and bark and flower, they're all emitting these oils into the air, into the volatile compounds they're called and when we walk through the woods we feel really grounded and we feel really good we've just been exposed to so much nature and this was god's medicine for all of time and even still 40, is <laughs> even 40 percent of the country of the world i mean still uses this as their primary medicine and so it was interesting they say that they go out into the woods they find a plant they bring it back they extract the essential oil out of it and they can look under a microscope and they can see active ingredients in it. And so in fact, when they you know, make a drug, they'll look at the active ingredient from a plant and isolate it and take it out and then see what that's doing in the body. But when they do that, they're really missing nature because on both sides of that active ingredient, we have thousands of live vibrations happening. And so when I use one oil, I might use 790 vibrations from the right and 19 from the left of that active ingredient, and it's gonna do something amazing for my body. 
you might use different numbers and different vibrations with that. But if you well, remember, how, how do you determine the vibrations? Is something you pick up on the EG or is this that's something that you yeah. see in the, in the whatever spectrographs they have? I, I forget the name of the equipment that they use, but you know, a lot of companies will send their quality of their oils out to make sure that that's there to make sure that there's no pathogens or bacteria or mold or anything that got contaminated it, you know, even after they've extracted it. They're looking for no pesticides or, you know, organically grown. That's super important. We also want to make sure that it meets the, the pure plant spectrum in the CDC. You know, they have an actual aroma for the purest of the plants, and if it can be close to that aroma, um, it's as natural as possible. So, you know, it's important that um, you do a little research to there's, there's a lot of different companies out there that have therapeutic grade oils. And so you want therapeutic grade or higher, uh, not just generally, you know, essential oils are used in, in foods too, generally regarded as safe, but like your lemon and your salad dressing and that it's wonderful aroma and it's flavorable, but it doesn't have the, the healing properties and the municipal purpose that the therapeutic grade oils would have. And so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of them help, you know, wake you up like peppermint oil. Uh, one drop of peppermint on your hand, rub your hands together and hold it in front of your nose. And in 15 seconds, you're going to have about 20% more oxygen in your brain. And so some of these oils are so small, they can go right through the blood brain barrier and actually enhance your mood and change the way you're feeling. And so that's phenomenal. Um, you know, as far as people that are depressed and have anxiety and so forth, uh, there's essential oils that can really help bring and calm you down or wake you up and then let you go so you can still adapt to your environment. If there's something exciting going on, I want to feel excited. And if there's something really sad that happened, I want to be able to console and be there for that person. And I need to lower or arouse myself to match them in that state. And if you have to take a medication to control one of the extremes of your arousal state, most likely you just avoid and withdraw in life and become numb and don't really feel anything either way. And so, you know, anything we can do to help people naturally maintain homeostasis is, is really the game because our body is designed to do that. We just have to work with our body to help it achieve what it's been trying all along. Right. And, how, and how do you, well, first of all, is there a synergy? Did you notice a synergy between your EEG work and the oils? And how do you uh, combine them? What's the strategy you're using? Okay, so there, there's definitely a synergy between the brain mapping and the oils. Uh, we'd see a lot of the, the gray matter, the part that's under your conscious control. We can see one drop out of an essential oil in as soon as 30 seconds dramatically change that EEG and uh, bring calm down the areas that are overexcited and wake up some of the areas that are underexcited. Um, and so the oil can help your body achieve that, you know, with the synergy of whatever your body's needing. And also the oils are adaptogens. So what I mean by that is the exact same oil is going to help somebody that had anxiety or depression which is both sides of the spectrum. You have an oil like helichrysum, that's a blood adaptogen. So I put that over my heart every day. And if my blood's too thick, it's gonna thin it. If my blood's too thin, it's gonna help thicken it. 
So oils are very intuitive in nature to know what properties you need. And I think the way it does that is by using different vibrations on both sides of the active ingredient to be able to elicit different responses with the same oil. And are there any resources you could recommend to help people get up to speed on this and uh, find out more information and how they could apply them for their specific situation? Um, yeah, you know, on Amazon, they have uh, different books. I like one called Modern Essentials. That's one of my favorites. Being a, a doctor, I like to be able to have the opportunity to look up a condition possibly and then see what all oils uh, pertain or are used for those conditions. So something as simple as Amazon and look up essential oil textbooks and look for the ones that, you know, like Oil Life is another great one uh, that we love. And then the Modern Essentials, as I mentioned, these are some great resources that we like to empower our patients with so they can look up and learn as they go, um, not just for the healing, but even for daily use around the house for disinfecting things and not being exposed to the harmful chemicals and cleaning products, um, as well as cooking with them. You know, a drop of cilantro in a recipe is amazing. Two drops, you're going to taste nothing but cilantro. So like one drop of peppermint is so concentrated that it's equivalent to 29 cups of peppermint tea. And so, you know, essential oils in general are about 50 to 70 times more powerful than herbs. So use them accordingly. And uh, in general, they don't have side effects. There's a few of your own medications you wanna check with your doctor and make sure that that oil is not gonna contradict anything or interfere. And why do you think that you weren't aware of this therapeutic modality up until really over a decade mm -hmm. of suffering with this illness or this, you know, the, the, the complications from your injury? You know, um, <laughs> that is a great question. And I scratch my head a lot. Uh, with that one, being um, very much into teaching continuing ed and following several different circuits of companies that teach the continuing ed around the country, um, it was just never on the topic from anybody. And so I think maybe if somebody asked me before I really got it, I might have thought when they said essential oils that they meant essential fatty acids. And mm -hmm. so I would think, oh yeah, I take that, omega-3, omega-6, and all of that. I, I might have just been ignorant to the difference um, is one thing that I could say. But um, I just don't think the public was really aware. And maybe it's just because of media and everything else. And um, there wasn't a lot of companies 10 years ago mm -hmm. that were, you know, into essential oils and there wasn't a lot of research. And so now there, you can type in any essential oil, like frankincense clinical studies into Google, and you're going to see thousands and thousands of studies. And so um, I think in the last decade, it's really become more publicly aware that it's normal to have an oil, to put it on you, to diffuse it at night, to, you know, even ingest it if I'm not feeling well. And you have to be careful with that, make sure it's really pure. Um, but you can, you know, take like oregano and clove and put it into a veggie cap and just literally drop it right into your gut where your sickness is and really help uh, nip things in the bud before they turn into something worse. So I want you to play a little game here and imagine yourself <clears throat> now the wiser you with the knowledge you've compiled over the years and as a result of enduring your suffering, what would you tell your younger self the moment advise your younger self right after the injury? 
I mean, what, how would you, what, was, what course of therapy recommendations and strategies would you advise your, yourself back then that could have really saved you a lot of grief? Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. I think with all the knowledge I have now, um, one of the things that was never part of the equation throughout all of my healing was the exposure to electronics and the Wi-Fi and the e you know, EMFs and all of that. Um, and in fact, I've had some people tell me that if I had to go through that accident now, compared to 20 years ago, there's no way the things that got me out of it would, would be enough uh, just because of that exposure. But um, with that aside, I think the biggest thing is you know, in epigenetics, we learn, I was always taught that, you know, your lifestyle is going to determine your health. And if you eat right and drink lots of clean water and exercise and sleep and do, you know, all the right lifestyle stuff and avoid toxins at all costs, you're never going to have your genes activate and do all of the bad things that take people out. And, you know, the thing, the part of you know, I've had a few different epiphanies along the way, but one of them that, that really stands out as being so profound, and I learned it in an epigenetics class, was that research showed that there's actually another factor that will play a role in whether you're going to get better or not, and whether your genes are going to help you heal or they're going to attack you, and it has nothing to do with your lifestyle. And it actually holds more than 50% of the weight of the entire equation if these things are going to help you or harm you. And I was just all ears. And what it really boils down to is your mood. And so your attitude and, you know, your thoughts are one thing. But once you internalize it and it becomes a mood, a feeling, every cell in your body feels that. The little antennas on the outside of every cell, their sole job is to look at the environment outside and say, hey, is it happy? Hey, we got a beautiful day here in Colorado. Keep going and making some new cells for me. Everything's good on the outside. But if it looks outside and it's storming and there's thunder and there's lightning and the glass feels like it's going to break, the DNA is going to get notified by those antennas that we have a war going on and we need help. And it's going to activate a whole bunch of things that's not going to be helping you heal your body and all of that. And so um, that's one thing that's free, that everybody has control over, the things that you're allowing yourself think, and more importantly than that, internalize. And so, you know, me being the good news doctor, I want to pull out that Olympian in you. And I know everybody has one in there. You just have to want to let it out. And if you really want to fight for it, whatever your health is, whatever pain you're in, whatever your circumstances are, your body is always replacing itself. And the next version of you has a chance of being better than the one now or worse. And your thoughts are going to play the first foremost part of that. So you have to get your attitude right. You know, get on podcasts, do these things all the time to keep feeding your brain because you just need to hear facts from a different person saying some of the same things that your loved ones and parents have been telling you your whole life for it to finally click and be like, oh, I get it. I probably shouldn't expose myself to that anymore, or I should do more of that. And so attitude is the first step, and it's the most important step because it's going to determine human performance. And I think that's something that, you know, people aren't emphasizing enough how important it is to protect your attitude and to protect your emotions. My parents always told me not to let somebody get your goat. And I kind of laughed, like, what does that mean? And they says, listen, tell yourself that if something's about to really upset you, 
that I just don't have all the facts right now, so I'm not going to let myself feel that until I get more information. Otherwise, it might be wasted, in, you know, because I might be assuming something that's not right and then ruin my whole day with my attitude about it. So, um, you know, I guess the best and most important advice I give anybody is start with your attitude and realize that there is hope. You can get better. You are going to overcome this. Uh, you have a lot of people in your lives that want to help you and that want to support you and encourage you. And when they see you take that turn and start fighting for your life back, it wants them to help. They want to help you more. You know, and but if you're always complaining and negative and every time they're around, the sky's falling, guess what? They're not going to keep coming around. And that's another thing I learned is who your real friends are when you're disabled and laid up for a long time. Um, you know, and, and when you start turning it around for yourself and you're excited, you're going to not only get better, but you're going to have everybody in your life be so much happier for you and continue to support and, sure. and allow you to get that dream come true. Excellent. So at this point, would you still advise uh, and encourage people to consider finding someone who could do brain mapping, a QEEG to uh, help improve their ability to recover from the, the injury and the pain? Certainly for TBI, it's a wise strategy. There's no question. But a lot of pain is not TBI. It might be low back pain or some limb injury or internal organ. Yeah, I 100% absolutely agree. I think doctors that don't either refer out to this or don't have it in their practice have a big black hole in, in trying to help people because there's so much information that we're getting from the brain doing the EEG to, if nothing else, whatever course of treatment you're on, be able to just do a post map down the road and see you know, how, if these things woke up or started regulating. And, and the concern of mine is, is there's certain parts of the map that we can see decline happen. And when that happens there, that's usually not good. You know, it leads to other things like dementia and Alzheimer's and MS and all of these things. When you lose that neurological components, you know, most of the time it's from TBI, you know, and they don't even realize that people fall down and get up and think I hit my head on the ice, had a little headache, but I'm okay. And they don't realize that you might not be, you might not notice it till down the road. So, um, you know, the brain mapping is something that's become so inexpensive now to be able to go in and get a brain map um, that it's really great information. And it really should be the, the foundation that part of the initial examination of really what's going on and how are we going to get better. We need to see how well your brain's functioning because that's so, relating everything. So the brain mapping is important, but then there's also the therapeutic component. And because yeah. as you mentioned, the pricing has changed quite dramatically in recent years. And now there are home units that you can take home, yeah. either rent or purchase that are relatively inexpensive that you can uh, perform a, a, an exercise training program of your brain with the protocols developed from the more sophisticated units. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the home units to me, has been some of the greatest breakthroughs uh, in recent times because neurofeedback in general, going to a doctor, it just takes, it takes weeks. You know, you're going in a couple times a week, you're getting about 30 uh, uh, minutes of training of brain growing tissue time during those sessions. But when you can train for say two to four hours a day, and just making sure, and honestly, the only way you can do that is being in ketosis because your brain won't be able to handle running that hard. Uh, but we've been able to- right, let, me, let me just expand on that. The reason for that is because the brain's optimal fuel really is, is ketones. Right. And uh, you're gonna generate far less oxidative uh, reactions and stress 
if you're then you're burning carbohydrates. So that's why you fatigue prematurely because there's just so much reactive oxygen species from that type of activity if you're burning carbohydrates rather than fat. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that's a big component for the people that want to train every day is, you know, you have to have the discipline and we need to get you into a, a metabolically flexible diet. Yeah. And I want them in ketosis while they're training, you know, and that's, that's a huge advantage. And you're right. Now there's lots of people that have home units and, you know, and, and that's how we do it because I'm so... Once you've gone at such a fast pace, it's hard to slow back down again. And, you know, quite frankly, the people that need the fast pace are the ones that would take two and three years going into your office to be able to get out of that wheelchair. We want to help them now as quick as possible to be able to do that. And, you know, the neurofeedback training now allows us to really pinpoint the areas of exactly where I want to stimulate neuroplasticity when I'm being rewarded. And that is it's amazing and it's, it's, it's painless therapy and it's done in the comfort of your own home for, for so many people. So yeah, it really, yeah. a, a great starting point to get everything back online. Then everything else you're doing after that is working better. So you've provided a compelling story for the benefit of, of this approach. And I'm wondering what you would suggest as a strategy for people to identify a clinician who could, uh, in, uh, the, uh, provide this type of ther uh, therapeutic approach? Um, you know, there's like, again, it just depends on location. Um, a lot of companies have thousands of doctors doing neurofeedback all over the world. Um, look in your own backyard and see if there's clinicians near you that you could go, uh, you know, Google and see if they come up. Um, you know, we always have, you know, sites like ours, the good news doctor, and we take care of patients all over the country. So there's other companies out there as well that can have home units as well. And some of the doctors locally might have home units that they can monitor you real closely as well too. Uh, but that's, you know, if you're looking for getting really fast results, um, you know, in your healing and in your recovery, the neurofeedback is really going to be a, a key. Yeah, I think an important distinction too, maybe I'd like you to expand on it, is that you mentioned earlier there's two types of electrode caps, the wet and the dry. Uh, the wet means you have to put a gel to transfer the electrical signal from the brain into the equipment so it can read it. And the dry doesn't require that. It's a lot cleaner. You can put it on in about literally under two minutes or so where the wet can take significantly longer and then you've got to clean up afterwards. And if you have a long hair, like a lot, many women do, that can be a real challenge. So is it possible to get these wet caps in home units too? Um, yes, the wet and the dry. Now the dry units um, have been out for a couple years now. Mm -hmm. And I was a little, little gun shy at first because there's a heavy price tag on those units. But we finally got one last year and I've done about 7,000 brain maps prior to last year. Mm -hmm. And then since we have this new cap, the dry cap, I've done over 3,000 brain maps in the last year, uh, year and a couple months, and I can have it on you and hooked up in a minute, two minutes. Um, and you know, we're mapping and recording all 19 spots simultaneously. And so literally we could be done mapping in less than 10 minutes where it used to take me like an hour and a half with the wet system. Um, and so now they do have wet systems that can record just as fast, but still, like you said, if you're somebody that's, you know, coming in for your visit, you know, on your lunch break, your hair is going to need a shower after you do the gel. Yeah. Uh, 
because you know it's a mess. And so, and, and, and I think the other variable or the factor that you look out for is the number of leads. You mentioned that you had 19 lead system that was measuring all leads simultaneously where a number of other systems maybe have 19 leads but they're only measuring two at a time so that's maybe an important distinction you want to discern as you're identifying someone to work with correct yeah the one that records 19 at the same time can actually use that data to to build a three-dimensional image of the brain if you're not doing that at the same time, you can't have that data. So think of it this way. If you were standing outside a room that didn't have any windows and somebody was inside the room making noise, you would know that there's noise being made in the room, but you couldn't tell me where the person was standing. So if you had microphones throughout the whole room and somebody made a noise anywhere in the room, you could tell me the exact centimeter that they were standing when the noise made because how long that noise took to get to all the microphones. So you want to um, see the three-dimensional image, be able to see all the networks and all of that. You want to be in a system that can record them all simultaneously. Otherwise, they're recording bits and pieces of it and then putting it in a picture as if it happened all at the same time. And, you know, that's still better than not mapping at all, but it's not, the, the data now can be so much more specific and we can see so many more things and help you get better so much faster if we had you know, more data and we can see three-dimensionally exactly where the injuries were, which networks are offline. And yeah, so and I'm assuming that's because you can make really specific therapeutic recommendations and exercises as opposed to the other system because you have so much more data and information. Yeah, correct. We can actually pinpoint the new growth to be right around a certain network's tissue only. Uh, versus just surface stuff. And you know what? For 40 years, the surface stuff has had miracles. And for my first decade doing it, just single spots, um, we would have autistic kids speak again, paralyzed people walk again. We would see such incredible changes, you know, without the brain maps. But now we have the ability just to really speed the process up and pinpoint the damaged areas, you know, much more accurately and be able to get you the results you're looking for quicker. You know, that's oh, this is great. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and providing so much hope for many people who really desperately need this type of uh, approach and intervention, as opposed to relying on these narcotics like even you did for a while, but that they're, and, and, and the, the uh, mental attitude and approach that you uh, recommended and advised is so, such an important component of the strategy. So I really thank you for sharing that. And you know, if you, you, if you struggle with pain, as so many people do, or one of your relatives do, then this is certainly an interview you want to send to them so they can have a resource to help them uh, get better and improve. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Doc. It's been an honor.